Hi, welcome back to the Blind Patriot Storytelling Podcast. Today there will be a second story in the birthday series. The story is by William Trevor, an Irish writer. And the story is called Timothy's Birthday. Hope you enjoy this short story. Timothy's Birthday They made the usual preparations. Charlotte brought a small leg of lamb, picked purple broccoli and sprigs of mint. All were Timothy's favourites. Purchased every year for April 23rd, which this year was a Thursday. Odo ensured that the gin had not gone too low, a gin and tonic, and then another one was what Timothy liked. Odo did not object to that, did not in fact object to obtaining the gin specially, since it was not otherwise drunk in the house. There were a couple in the 60s who had scarcely parted from each other in the 42 years of their marriage. Odo was tall, thin as a straw, his bony features receding into a freckled dome on which little hair remained. Charlotte was small and still pretty, her grey hair drawn back and tidy, her eyes an arresting shade of blue. Timothy was their only child. Deciding on a fire, Odo chopped up an old seed box for kindling and filled a basket with logs and turf. The rocks were cawing and chattering in the high trees, their nests already in place, more of them this year, Odo noticed. The cobbles of the yard were still damp from a shower. Grass, occasionally ragwort or a dock, greened them in patches. Later, perhaps, when Timothy had gone, he would go over them with a weed killer as he did every year in April. The outhouses that bounded the yard required attention also. Their wooden doors rotted away at the bottom. The whitewash of the stucco gone grey, brambles growing through their windows, Odo resolved that this year he would rectify matters, but knew, even as the thought occurred, that he would not. Cold? Charlotte asked him as he passed through the kitchen. And he said yes, a little chilly outside. The kitchen was never cold because of the range. A long time ago, they had been going to replace it with a second-hand aga Charlotte had heard about. But when it came to the point, Odo hadn't wanted to and anyway there hadn't been one, hadn't been the funds. In the drawing room, Odo set the fire, crumpling up the pages of old account books because no newspaper was delivered to the house and one was rarely bought. They had the wireless and the television which kept them up with things. The account books were of no use to anyone, belonging entirely to the past, to the tie of Odo's grandfather and generations earlier, kept for the purpose in a wall cupboard by the fireplace. The dry pages never failed to, failed to burn well. Slating 12.5 pounds. Odo read as he arranged the kindling over the slanted calligraphy. He struck a match and stacked on logs and turf. Rain spattered against the long paned windows. A sudden gust of wind tumbled something over in the garden. Charlotte pressed rosemary into the slits she had incised in the lamp. She worked swiftly from long experience knowing just what she was doing. She washed the grease from her fingertips under a running tap and set aside what remained of the rosemary, even though it was unlikely that she would have a use for it. She hated throwing things away. The oven was slow. Although it was still early, the meat would have to go in within half an hour and potatoes to roast, another Timothy favourite, at 11. The trifle gooey with custard and raspberry jam and jelly, a nursery pudding, Charlotte had made the night before. When Timothy came, He chopped the mint for the mint sauce, one of the first of his childhood tasks. He had been a plump little boy then. 
I can't go, Timothy said in a flat that had recently been left to him by Mr. Kinali. Eddie didn't respond. He turned the pages of the Irish Times, wishing it was something livelier, the Star or the Express. With little interest, he noticed that school's entrance tests were to be abolished and there was to be a canine cleanup, whatever that was, in Limerick. I'll drive you down, he offered then. His own plans were being shattered by this change of heart on the part of Timothy, but he kept the annoyance out of his voice. He had intended to gather his belongings together and leave as soon as he had the house to himself, a bus out of the N4, the long hitchhike, then start all over again. No problem to drive you down, he said. No problem. The suggestion wasn't worth a reply. Timothy considered. It wasn't even worth acknowledgement. No longer plump at 33, Timothy wore his smooth, fair hair in a ponytail. When he smiled, a dimple appeared in his left cheek, a characteristic he cultivated. He was dressed this morning as he often was in flannel trousers and a navy blue blazer with a plain blue tie in the button-down collar of his plain blue shirt. I would get out before we got there, Eddie offered. I would go for a walk while you was inside. What I am saying is, I can't face it. There was another silence then, during which Eddie sighed without making a sound. He knew about the birthday tradition, because as the day approached, there had been a lot of talk about it. The house called Kulatin had been described to him. Four miles from the village of Baltinglass, a short avenue from which the entrance gates had been removed, a faded green hall door, the high grass in the garden, the abandoned conservatory. And Timothy's people, as Timothy always called him, had been as graphically presented. Charlotte's smile and Odo's solemnity, the fondness for one another evident in how they spoke and acted. The fondness for Kulatin. Charlotte cut what remained of Odo's hair and Timothy said, you could tell. And you could tell, even when they were not in their own surroundings, that they weren't well-to-do. All they wore was old. Hearing it described, Eddie had visualized in the drawing room the bagatelle table between the windows and Odo's ancestor in oils over the fireplace, the buttoned green sofa, the rugs that someone had once brought back from India or Egypt. Such shreds of grace and vigor from a family's past took similar form in the dining room that was these days used only once a year on April 23rd and in the hall on the staircase wall where the further portraits hung. Except for the one occupied by Odo and Charlotte, the bedrooms were musty, with patches of grey damp on the ceilings and plaster fallen away. Timothy's, in which he had not slept for 15 years, was as he had left it. But in one corner, the wallpaper had billowed out and now was curling away from the surface. The kitchen, where the television and the wireless were, Odo and Charlotte ate all their meals, except for lunch on Timothy's birthday, was easily large enough for this general purpose. A dresser crowded with crockery and a lifetime's odds and ends, a long scrub table on the flagged floor, with upright kitchen chairs around it. As well, there were two armchairs. Odo had brought in from the drawing room a washing machine. Timothy had given his mother wooden draining boards on either side of the sink, ham hooks in the panelled ceiling and a row of bells on springs above the door to the scullery. A cheerful place, that kitchen, Eddie estimated. But Timothy said it was part and parcel, whatever he meant by that. Would you go, Eddie? Would you go down and explain, say I am feeling unwell? Eddie hesitated. Then he said, Did Mr. Kinali ever go down there? No, of course he didn't. 
It's not the same. Eddie walked away and when he heard that reply, Mr. Canali had been far too grand to act as a messenger in that way. Mr. Canali had given Timothy birthday presents, the chain he wore on his wrist, shoes and pullovers. Now I don't want you spending your money on me, Timothy had said a day or two ago. Eddie, who hadn't been intending to, didn't even buy a card. In the kitchen, he made coffee, real coffee from Beulies, measured into the percolator, as Timothy had shown him. Instant gave you cancer, Timothy maintained. Eddie was a burly youth of 19, with curly black hair, to which he daily applied gel. His eyes set on a slant, gave him a furtive air, accurately reflecting his nature, which was a watchful one, the main chance being never far out of his sights. When he got away from the flat in Mount Joy Street, he intended to go study for a bit, maybe settle down with some decent girl, maybe have a kid. Being in the flat had suited him for the five months he had been here, even if privately he didn't much care for certain aspects of the arrangement. Once briefly, Eddie had been apprenticed to a plumber, but he hadn't much cared for that either. He arranged cups and saucers on a tray and carried them to the sitting room with a coffee and milk and a plate of croissants. Timothy had put a CD on, the kind of music Eddie didn't care for, but never said so, sonorous and grandiose. The hi-fi was bang and all of sin, the property of Mr. Canali in his lifetime, as everything in the flat had been. Why not, Timothy asked, using the telecommander on the arm of his chair to turn the volume down. Why not, Eddie? I could not do a thing like that. I'll drive you. I'm not going down. Timothy reduced the volume further as he took the cup of coffee Eddie offered him. His two long eye teeth glistened the way they sometimes did, and the dimple formed in his cheek. All I'm asking you to do is pass a message on. I would do it as a favor. The phone, there's no phone in that place. Just say I couldn't make it due to not feeling much today. Timothy broke in half a croissant that had specks of bacon in it, the kind he liked, that Eddie bought in Fitz's. A special favor, he softly repeated, and Eddie sensed more pressure in the words. Timothy paid. Timothy called the tune. Well, two can play at that game, Eddie said to himself, and calculated his gains over the past five months. The faded green hall door, green also on the inside, was sealed up because of the draughts. You entered the house at the back, crossing the cobbled yard to the door that led to the scullery. He's here, Charlotte called out when there was a sound of a car and a few minutes later, as Odo arrived in the kitchen from the hall, there were footsteps in the scullery passage and then a hesitant knock on the kitchen door. Since Timothy never knocked, both thought this was odd. An order still when a youth they did not know appeared. Oh, Charlotte said. He's off colour, the youth said. A bit naff today. He asked me, would I come down and tell you? The youth paused and added. On account you don't have no phone. Colour crept into Charlotte's face, her cheeks becoming pink. Illness worried her. Thank you for letting us know, Odo said stiffly. The dismissive note in his tone willing his youth, this youth to go away again. It's nothing much, is it? Charlotte asked. And the youth said, CD, all morning in the toilet, the kind of thing you wouldn't trust yourself with on a car journey. His name was Eddie, he explained, a friend of Timothy's, or more, he added, a servant really, depending how you looked at it. Odo tried not to think about this youth. He didn't want Charlotte to think about him, 
just as for so long he hadn't wanted her to think about Mr. Kinali. Mr. Kinali died, Timothy said on this day last year, standing not far from where the youth was standing now, his second gin and tonic on the go. He left me everything, the flat, the rover, the lot. Odo had experienced relief that this elderly man was no longer alive but had been unable to prevent himself from considering the inheritance ill-gotten. The flat in Mountjoy Street, well placed in Dublin, had had its Georgian plasterwork meticulously restored, for Mr. Kinali had been that kind of person. They had heard about the flat, it contents too, just as Eddie had heard about Kulatin. Timothy enjoyed describing things. His tummy played up a bit once, Charlotte was saying with her mother's recall. We had a scare, we thought appendicitis, but it wasn't in the end. He'll rest himself, he'll be alright. The youth was mumbling, not meeting the eye of either of them. Shifty, Odo considered, and dirty looking. The shoes he wore, once white, the kind of sports shoes you saw about these days were filthy now. His black trousers hung shapelessly. His neck was bare, no sign of shirt beneath the red sweater, and some kind of animal depicted on it. Thank you, Odo said again. A drink, Charlotte offered. Cup of coffee? Tea? Odo had known that would come. No matter what the circumstances, Charlotte could never help being hospitable. She hated being thought otherwise. Well, the youth began and Charlotte said, Sit down for a minute. Then she changed her mind and suggested the drawing room because it was a pity to waste the fire. Odo didn't feel angry. He rarely did with Charlotte. I'm afraid we haven't any beer, he said as they passed through the hall. Both coffee and tea having been rejected on the grounds that they would be troublesome to provide, although Charlotte had denied that. In the drawing room, what there was, the sherry that stood near the bagatelle, never touched by either of them, and Timothy's cork gin and two bottles of tonic. I'd fancy a drop of cork, the youth said, if that's okay. Would Timothy come down another day? Charlotte wanted to know. Has he said anything about that? It was the first time his birthday had been missed. It was the one occasion they spent together, she explained. Cheers, the youth exclaimed, not answering the questions, appearing to Odo to be stimulate, simulating denseness. Great, he complicated, co- complimented when he sipped the gin. Poor Timothy. Charlotte settled into the chair she always occupied in the drawing room to the left of the fire. The light from the long paned windows fell on a neat grey hair and the side of her face. One of them would die first, Odo had thought again in the night, as he often did now. He wanted it to be her. He wanted to be the one to suffer the loneliness and the distress. It would be the same for either of them, and he wanted it to be him who had to bear the painful burden. Sitting forward on the edge of the sofa, Eddie felt better when the gin began to glow. Refreshing, he said, a drop of cork. The day Mr. Kinali died, there were a number of them in the flat. Timothy put the word out and they came that night, with Mr. Kinali still stretched out on his bed. In those days, Eddie used to come in the mornings to do the washing up, after Mr. Kinali had taken a fancy to him in the O'Connell Street. An hour or so in the mornings, last night's dishes, paid by the hour, nothing of the other, he didn't even know about it then. On the day of the death, Timothy shaved the dead face himself and got Mr. Kinali into his tweeds. He sprayed a little crazy omo and changed the slippers for lace-ups. He made him as he had been, 
except of course for the closed eyes you couldn't do anything about that come back in the evening could you he had requested edi the first time there had been such summons there'll be a few here there were more than a few paying their respects in the bedroom and afterwards in the sitting room timothy put on the music and they just sat there from the scraps of conversation that were exchanged edi learned that timothy had inherited from mr kinelli Timothy was in the dead man's shoes the new mr kinelli you never think of moving in edi timothy suggested a while later and afterwards edi guessed that that was how timothy himself had been invited to mount joy street when he was working in the news agents balls bridge on his uppers as he used to say as a matter of fact edi sat in the drawing room i never touch a beer timothy's father so thin and bony in edi's view that when he sat down you would imagine it would cause him pain gave a nod that was hardly a nod at all and the mother said she couldn't drink beer in any shape or form neither of them was drinking now nothing in the gassy line suits me eddie confided it wasn't easy to know what to say timothy had said they would ask him to stop for a bite of grub when they realized he had come down specially before he knew where they he was they would have turned in, into the birthday boy odo his father's name was Timothy had passed on. Extraordinary, really. Nice home he got here, Eddie said. Nice place. A kind of curiosity had brought him to the house. Once Timothy had handed him the keys of the Rover, he could as easily have driven straight to Galway, which was the city he had decided to make for, having heard a few times that it was lively. But instead, he had driven as directed to Bolton Glass and then by minor roads to Culloden. He had head for Galway later. The N82 Portlaoise was what the map in the car indicated. Then on the Mount Melik and Tullamore, and then Athlone. Eddie didn't know any of these towns. Dublin was his place. Excuse me, he said, addressing Timothy's father, lowering his voice. Do you have a toilet? Charlotte had years ago accepted her son's way of life. She had never fussed about it and saw no reason to. Yet she sympathized with Odo and was a little infected by the disappointment he felt. This is how Timothy wishes to live," she said. She said, once gently to argue, but Odo would look away, saying he didn't understand it. Saying to Timothy too that he didn't want to know. Odo was like that. Nothing was going to change him. Kulatin had defeated him, and he had always hoped, during Timothy's childhood, that Timothy would somehow make a go of it where he himself had failed. In those days, they had taken in overnight guests, but more recently, too much went wrong in the house, and the upkeep was too burdensome to allow them to continue without financial loss. Timothy, as a child, had been both imaginative and practical. Odo had seen a time in the future where they could be a family at Culloden again, when, in some clever way, both house and gardens would be restored. Timothy had even talked about it, describing it as he liked to. flowery hotel the kitchen filled with modern utensils and machines and the bedroom fresh with paint new wallpapers and fabrics odo could recall a time in his own childhood when visitors came and went not paying for the sojourn of course but visitors who paid would at least be something you'll have to ask him if he wants to stay to lunch charlotte said when timothy's friend had been shown where the downstairs lavatory was yes i know I would fix the toilet for you," Eddie offered, explaining that the flow to the bowl was poor. Nothing complicated. Corrosion in the pipe," he explained. He, he explained then that he had started out as a plumber once, which was why he knew a thing or two. No sweat," he said. 
When lunch was mentioned, he said he wouldn't want to trouble anyone, but they said no trouble. He picked up a knife from the drinks table and set off with his gin and tonic to the downstairs lavatory to effect the repair. It's very kind of you, Eddie. Timothy's mother thanked him and he said, honestly, no sweat. When he returned to the drawing room, having poked about in the cistern with a knife, the room was empty. Rain was beating against the windows. The fire had burnt low. He poured another dollop of gin into his glass, not bothering with the tonic, since that would have meant opening the second bottle. Then the old fellow appeared out of nowhere with a bas- basket of logs, causing Eddie to jump. I'd done it best I could, Eddie said, wondering if he had been seen with the bottle actually in his hand and thinking he probably had. It's better than it was anyway. Yes, Timothy's father said, putting a couple of logs into the fire and a piece of turf at the back. Thanks very much. Shocking rain, Eddie said. Yes, it was heavy now, the answer came. And nothing more was said until they moved into the dining room. You sit there, Eddie, Timothy's mother directed. And he sat, as she indicated, between the two of them. A plate was passed to him with slices of meat on it, then vegetable dishes with potatoes and broccoli in them. It was a Thursday too, the day Timothy was born, Timothy's mother said. In the newspaper they brought me, it said something about a royal audience with the Pope. 1959, Eddie calculated, 14 years before he saw the light of day himself. He thought of mentioning that, but decided they wouldn't want to know. The drop of cork had settled in nicely. The only pity was they hadn't brought the bottle into the table. Nice bit of meat, he said instead. And she said it was Timothy's favorite, always had been. The old fellow was silent again. The old fellow hadn't believed him when he had said Timothy was off color. The old fellow knew exactly what was going on. You could tell that straight away. Pardon me a sec, Eddie Rose, promoted by the fact that he knew where both of them were. In the drawing room, he poured himself more gin and grimaced as he swallowed it. He poured a smaller measure and didn't, this time gulped it. In the hall, he picked up a little ornament that might be silver, two entwined fish he had noticed earlier. In the lavatory, he didn't close the door in the hope that they would hear the flush and assume he had been there all the time. Great, he said in the dining room as he sat down again. The mother asked about his family. He mentioned Talact, no reason not to since it was what she was after. He referred to the tinker encampment and said it was my bloody disgrace. Tinkers allowed like that. Pardon my French, he apologized, when the swear word slipped out. More ready, she was saying, glancing at the old fellow since, since it was he who was in charge of cutting the meat. Yeah, great. He took his knife and fork off his plate. And after it was handed back to him, there was a bit of a silence, so he added. A new valve would be your only answer in the toilet department. No problem with your pressure. We must get it done, she said. It was then when another silence gathered and continued for a couple of minutes that Eddie knew the mother had guessed also. Suddenly it came into her face that Timothy was as fit as a fiddle. Eddie saw her glance once across the table, but the old fellow was intent on his food. On other birthday occasions, Timothy would have talked about Mr. Kinali, about his circle, which was always how the friends who came to the flat were always described. Blearily through a fog of cork gin, Eddie knew all that, even heard the echo of Timothy's rather high-pitched voice at the same table. But talk about Mr. Kinali had never been enough. Course, it could go on the way it is for years, Eddie said, 
the silence having now become dense as long as there's a drop coming in through at all you're in business with a toilet sister he continued about the faulty valve stumbling over some other words his speech thickened by the gin from time to time the old man nodded but no sign came from the mother her features were bleak now quite unlike they had been a moment ago when she had kept the conversation going the two had met when she walked up the avenue of kulatin one day looking for petrol for her car timothy had reported that too the car was broken down a mile away she came to the first house there was which happened to be kulatin they walked back to the car together and they fell in love a morris 8 timothy said 1950 it was a lifetime celebration of love he had said that morning in the toneless voice he sometimes adopted that's what you'll find down there it wouldn't have been enough either to have had kinali here in person kinali they could have taken kinali would have oozed about the place remarking on the furniture and the pictures on the walls judicious as he would have said himself a favorite word kinali could be judicious rough trade was different this trifle eddie heard the old woman say before she rose to get it the rain came in heavier now from the west a signpost indicated athlone head and eddie remembered being informed in a classroom that this town was more or less the center of ireland he drove slowly if for any reason a police car signaled him to stop he would be found to have more than a permitted quantity of alcohol in his bloodstream if for any reason his clothing was searched he would be found to be in possession of stolen property If he was questioned about the car he was driving, he would not be believed when he said it had been earlier lent to him for a purpose. The Rover's windscreen wipers softly swayed, the glass of the windscreen perfectly clear in their wake. Then a lorry went by and threw up surface water from the road. On the radio, Chris Deberg sang. The sooner he disposed of the bit of silver, the better. Athlone, maybe. In Galway, he would dump the car in a car park somewhere. The single effect remaining after his intake of gin was a thirsty experience as dry as paper his mouth was. He turned Chris de Burgh off not trying another channel. It was one thing to scarper off as Timothy had from that house. He had scarpered himself from Talact. To turn the knife was different. 15 years later to make your point with rough trade and transparent lies to lash out venomously. How had they cocked him up? How had they hurt him to deserve it? all the time when there had been silence they had gone eating as if leaving the food on the plates would be too dramatic a gesture the old man nodded once or twice about the valve but she had given no sign that she even heard very slightly as he drove eddie's head began to ache pot of tea he ordered in athlone and said no nothing else when the woman waited the birthday presents had remained on the sideboard not given to him to deliver as timothy had said they probably would be The two figures stood hardly moving at the back door while he hurried across the puddles in the cobbled yard to the car. When he looked back they were no longer there. Great, Eddie said when the woman brought the tea in a metal pot, cup and saucer, a cup and saucer and a teaspoon. Milk and sugar were already on the pink patterned oilcloth that covered the tabletop. Thanks, Eddie said. And when he had finished and had paid he walked through the rain, his head clearing in the chilly air. In the first jeweler's shop the man said he couldn't buy stuff in the second eddie was questioned so he said he came from fardrum a village he had driven through 
His mother had given him the thing to sell, he explained. The reason being she was sick in bed and needed a dose of medicine. But the jeweler frowned and the trinket was handed back to him without a further exchange. In a shop that had ornaments and old books in the window, Eddie was offered a pound and said he thought the entwined fish were worth more. 150 came the offer then and he accepted it. It didn't cease to rain. As he drove on though, Eddie felt better because he had sold the fish. He felt like stopping in balance low for another pot of tea but changed his mind. In Galway, he dropped the car off in the first car park he came to. Together they cleared away the dishes. Odo found that the girl, Jin, in the drawing room had been mostly drunk. Charlotte washed up at the sink. Then Odo discovered that the little ornament was gone from the hall and slowly went to break this news, the first communication between them since the visitor had left. These things happen, Charlotte said after another silence. The rain was easing when Eddie emerged from a public house in Galway, having been slaking up his thirst with a 7-up and watching Glenroe. As he walked into the city, it dribbled away to nothing. Watery sunshine slipped through the unsettled clouds, brightening the facades in Iyer Square. He sat on a damp seat there, wondering about picking up a girl. But none passed by, so he moved away. He didn't want to think. He wasn't meant to understand, being only what he was. Being able to read Timothy like a book was just a way of putting it. Talking big when nobody could hear. Yet the day still nagged, its images tumbling about, persisting in Eddie's bewilderment. Timothy smiled when he said all he was asking was that a message had to be passed on. Eddie's own hand closed over the silverfish. In the dining room, the life drained out of her eyes. Rain splashed the puddles in the cobbled yard and they stood, not moving in the doorway. On the quays, the breeze from the Atlantic dried the pale stone of the houses and cooled the skin of Eddie's face, freshening it also. People had come out to stroll, an old man with a smooth-haired terrier, a couple speaking a foreign language. Seagulls screeched, swooping and bickering in the air. It had been the natural thing to lift the ornament in the hall, since it was there and no one was around. In fairness, you could call it payment for scraping the rust of the Balcock Wolf. Easily 10 quid that would have cost them. A lifetime celebration, Timothy said again. It has actually cleared up, Odo said at the window, and Charlotte rose from the armchair by the fire and stood there with him, looking out at the drenched garden. They walked in it together when the last drops had fallen. Fairly battled the delphiniums, Odo said. Hasn't it just? She smiled a little. You had to accept what there was. No point in brooding. They had been hurt, as was intended, punished, because one of them continued to be disappointed and repelled. There never is fairness when vengeance is evoked. That had occurred to Charlotte when she was washing up the lunchtime dishes, and to Odo when he tidied the dining room. I am sorry, he had said, returning to the kitchen with forks and spoons that had not been used. Not turning around, Charlotte had shaken her head. They were not bewildered, as their birthday visitor was. They easily understood. Their own way of life was so much debris all around them, but since they were no longer in the prime, that hardly mattered. Once it would have, would have reflected now. Charlotte had known that years ago, this love for each other had survived the vicissitudes and the struggle there had been. Not even the bleakness of the day that had passed could affect it. They didn't mention their son as they made their rounds of the garden. That was now too much for them 
and was derelict in places. They didn't mention the jealousy, the love of each other had bred in him. That had flourished into deviousness and cruelty. The pain the day had brought would not easily pass. Both were aware of that. And yet it had to be. Since what was part of what there was.